So I messed up. I had a cold open for you guys, but I did not explain at all during my recording of this episode what I was actually doing in like a really thorough detail, at least in a way that I was confident that you'd understand what exactly this episode is. So here I am with a more formal open for you, more formal preview of what's happening. This is the catch-up episode for 2023. These are all the movies and shows that I should have reviewed that I just didn't get to for reasons that I will explain later in this episode. So in this episode, I am by my lowsome, I am by myself, and I'm reviewing the Marvels. I'll be reviewing Loki, the TV show. I'll be re- reviewing Blue Beetle and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Madness. And yeah, it's going to be a great time. It's my first like big, big, lonesome episode. Yeah, this is Don't Evolve Me. And guess what, guys? We're going to cue the music. All right, all right, all right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Don't Evolve Me, the place like Ash Ketchum and Pikachu. We don't evolve. We just level up. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to this catch-up episode for 2023. And in this episode, it's just me talking. It's me. It's I going solo. It's a little bit weird, but you know what? I kind of like it. It's kind of a test for me a little bit because this whole, my first year doing Don't Evolve Me, it was a lot of guests, a lot of people, not even guests, friends, regulars on the show that come back and forth. And I really like having my friends on it, but scheduling is hard. So this is kind of a test episode because I wanted to see what it'd be like to do a whole full weekly episode on my own. And I've already done a few episodes similar to this where I did fresh takes, fresh takes, get your fresh takes here. And I did a few fresh takes for movies that did it. Um, for The Flash, for Across the Spider-Verse, and a few others. But I've never done, like, a full episode on my own. So it's kind of a test in that way. And yeah, so we're not going to do Show Me Your Socks or Show Me Your Wares, because I'm not really wearing anything that's worth talking about. I did get a few new pops this week uh, from Black Friday week. I found a few pops that were cheaper end. And when I get pops, I want to get every pokemon one that is like my thing i don't know i just really like pokemon i really like pops so when they announced they're gonna do pokemon pops i'm like i must get every single one as in like every single pokemon i don't know why but it is fun but for pops especially if i find like a cheap pop it it has to be a pop that i can like what's the word for it like i need to have like a certain memory with that pop Right, like the character or the show, like I need to have a memory for it. So I got four different pops from what I can remember. I'm like blanking now that it's on the spot. Like which pops did I get? I got Mighty Thor from uh, Love and Thunder, Thor Love and Thunder, Jane Foster's Mighty Thor. And that character was special for me, mostly for the fact that that was like the first Thor comic I really got into was the Mighty Thor. And I didn't, like, start the comic, like, right away. It was more like I heard great things about it. I got into it, like, near its end. and kind of just read further about it. And it was really great. Then I got Captain Carter from Doctor Strange 
in the Multiverse of Madness. Pretty sure it's in, not an. Still not a big fan of the title, especially now after watching it. But Captain Carter, I want to say it's like one of my favorite characters, but she's cool. Like, she's a cool character. That one is my cool character. I'm getting it. Don't care what you say. I'm getting it. The other one that I got was Sam Wilson's The Falcon. Sam Wilson Falcon. I don't know. I thought he was cool. I'm like getting it. It's one of my like, I want to say he's like my favorite character. But he's definitely a character I'm like intrigued in. I'm like, I want his story to continue. I want to see it. And last but not least, Doctor Strange. Supreme Strange? He's like the first Doctor Strange you see in the movie. Multiverse of Madness. I just really wanted a Doctor Strange. That was it. Enough on that. Alright, I got some show updates for everybody. So, we're getting towards the holidays. And I've always talked about like when to do breaks. And just breaks between seasons... Breaks between, you know, in the summer. And I did take a break in May this year. And that wasn't planned. It was more medical issues. Took a month off. And now we're getting towards the end of the year where I'm thinking like, you know, I want to spend more time with family. It's going to be hard to get guests on. And when it comes to TV, television, there's stuff to talk about, but there isn't a whole lot. So... Now I'm not I'm not saying this is gonna be an official break, but I do want to point out that I have a few episodes that we did. We did have a DD session for you. My first ever DD experience was a blast, it was a fun time. I'm like nerding out in my character now. Really gotten into it. Forget the title. What were we gonna call it? I'm gonna find it here. The Scourge of the Eaters of the Dead is the se- is the title of our session. It is a one shot. Should be no more than five parts. We did session zero, so we did part one. It's our characters kind of introduction. So that's up ahead, and we have a banter, uh, banter episode where we had six of us together. A lot of the guests that you know, you we have Rose Gold Romero. We have Ernie, we have Tom, who's the DM, DMT. Uh, Brandon, who's been doing the reviews for Invincible for me, as well as Donald, who does the Fresh Takes reviews and say the reviews for Star Wars. He's the Star Wars guy. And we all kind of came together for a law ban- a banter episode. I guess Donald was in for the banter episode. He was in the D&D. It's fun. It's just a lot of life talk. I did not know where we were going with it. We were just recording. But it's a cool, just relaxing, get-to-know-us episode. <laughs> get-to-know-us roughly, because some of us had a few beers in. And moving on forward, too, we have a bunch of state of reviews. Brandon and I are doing the state of review for Batman. We did part one already with Schumacher and Tim Burton. Next is Christopher Nolan, The Dark Knight trilogy. And then after that, we'll be doing... The Batman, we'll be doing Batman, Superman, basically any movie with Batman in it. And then Donald and I have Star Wars State of Review. And then Donald and Brandon will join us. I'm not sure for all of it or some of it. We're going to be doing a State of Review for Avatar. And then we'll be reviewing that show, the Netflix live-action Avatar show when it comes out. Netflix in February. 
and I'm really excited for that. Um, we only have one video game nostalgia series planned next, which is Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and that hopefully will be with my cousin Corey. We'll see. I gotta message him and plan that. But basically what I'm saying with all this is we have a lot of things planned for you guys. We have a lot of things in store for us. But we will see. I'm not necessarily planning it for the next month. And who knows? When I have my I have a winter break, I will probably be working a lot and getting a lot of things recorded. Definitely getting those TikTok videos back because those are great. But yeah. That's some of the plans for the show moving forward. It's season two starts in January, so we are going to be taking some time off. But it's not necessarily the rest, relax. It is more of just a breather during the holidays, and then we'll be back. What are you nerding out on? It's usually a subject I ask, and I won't go too deep into this. Lately, this whole weekend, I've been nerding out on D&D. It was a fun time. It was a blast. Um, it was my first experience. And we only did Session Zero, but it's just the role-playing aspect of D&D was really, really fun. Um, I play a character called Turlo. And he's just an ADHD rogue. We already we did a D&D like, review episode for the movie, and we talked D&D and character build. And this is the character that I had in mind back in that episode. Um, I named him Turlo which means instigator in Ireland, or I guess that's what I googled, instigator. And he's very much a character who is all about himself. Like, he's all about getting vices. So I'm excited for just playing him and just, like, going through a mind of somebody else or something that's similar to me, but more like the extreme end of ADHD. It's fun to get in his head and just create chaos, create and I, I feel bad for my party members. I feel bad for Dungeon Master Tom. Put respect on his name. He's nerdier than you are, Chatfield. And I'm already apologizing ahead of time because I'm like, he. it is going to be a great time for me. It's going to be a, a troubling time for him and probably a troubling time for everybody else in the party. And that's what I'm nerding out on. Um Otherwise, One Piece, as always, that show has just got me hooked. We're on episode 210 now, Foxy Pirates, which is an, it's an interesting turn. Don't know how I feel about the Foxy Pirates, but I, I'm interested. I'm still watching it. And then Pokemon MMO has been a game I've been playing. It takes the first five generations. It's not an official Pokemon game, but it is a fun twist. and just it, it's, it's like the idea I wish Nintendo would do. Which is taking like just an MMO aspect of it, like taking old games, maybe modifying a little bit, and having it be like you can choose. It could be random. You start elsewhere, and then you just try to be a master of all these regions. Would be a really cool concept for Pokemon to do. I think it might even would be potentially bigger than Pokemon Go. I digress. All right, let's get into some news. It's time for a new. Squeaky. Oh yeah. Alright, not a whole lot of news. But starting off, Dave Filoni is now the creative chief officer. The not CFO. He's the creative guy. He is now the guy that is leading Star Wars into the future for movies, for shows. And you know what? I think it's a long time coming. Dave Filoni has 
for the most part, written, not single-handedly, but he is, like, the main voice for Star Wars this last, like, two decades or so. No, a decade or so, right? Because with Clone Wars, live action, or not live action, but Clone Wars, the second TV show, now with Rebels and Bad Batch, and then recently with Ahsoka, his stories are great. I'm excited for it. I mean, there is some... I have some small criticisms of Dave Filoni. Sometimes I feel like his stories aren't, like big enough or they go a little like wonky not necessarily wonky but more just like it goes into the lore that like we're not overly interested in i digress though because i do think dave filoni is one of the better voices you can have for star wars his content his shows were just a great like he's a great george lucas like apprentice like that's kind of how i feel about him so i'm happy for him and i'm excited to see where his movies or his shows go and i'm hoping he can really deliver Second piece of news is Brie Larson talked about her role in the Marvels, and I will talk about that movie later. Uh, she's planning on staying around for Captain Marvel. I know that's bad news for some people, but that was kind of the big news. She plans on being this character for a long time. I think after watching this movie, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with her. You can hate her. Um, I don't for just acting purposes. I think she's a fine Captain Marvel. I think now you just have to keep her. Sure, maybe after Secret Wars you can recast her. I don't know. I think you just roll with it. Despite what the fans say. So, we'll see. And the third one, little piece of news, since I've been talking One Piece a lot. Naruto. Live action movie. With Tasha Huo. How? H-U-O. Directing it. She uh, ran uh, the Tomb Raider animated series. I've never watched it, so... I don't know how I feel about like when it's like live action um, anime shows. One Piece is really like the first show. I'm like, God damn, that's good. Yep, I'm in. Like that really felt. And I never watched the anime beforehand, but when I watched it, I'm like, man, I can like I can feel that there's some nostalgia here. I can feel that they're really trying to hone in what the, made the anime great. And you really like. If you're a fan of the original material or not, it doesn't matter. You really want the remake or the live action version of it to have that sense and feeling of what like what made the original content great, great here. And they really did it with the anime. So I'm hoping Naruto, even though I've never I've only watched a few episodes, like very few, I hope they do well. I hope they do well for the fan base. Now, main story tonight. What am I doing here today? We're, this is the ketchup episode. And I just realized I did not explain this episode at all. So I'm going to redo my preview and make sure I explain what I'm doing in this episode. Because I just realized I completely didn't explain. I just started talking. So this is the ketchup episode. I will be talking about the Marvels and reviewing that movie and giving you a rating. And that was... I did the fresh takes like the day after, and that's what I did for the day was that, as well as doing a fresh takes for Loki. This is the episode where these are the shows or movies I didn't quite get to right away that I always meant to. I wanted to get them done, but I just didn't for reasons. So we'll be doing the Marvels. We'll be doing Loki. We'll be doing Blue Beetle, and we'll be doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Madness. And there's a reason... And I feel it's a pretty big reason why I just did not do these movies. 
And I don't want to make excuses because at the end of the day, it's on me. It really isn't on me to not get these done immediately for you guys in reviewing it. But I do want to talk about the reason, right? I'm not here to make excuses. I failed in that part to deliver right away. But I do want to talk the reasons because I think the reasons are important. I think the reasons, I feel like you guys feel it too. And that is, and me and Brandon talk about this a lot. But the idea of like superhero fatigue is here. And I want to, I kind of want to focus on the fact that like, I don't know if it's necessarily superhero fatigue, whereas like I'm sick of superheroes because let me tell you, watching the boys, watching Invincible, like I'm into it. I still really like superheroes. I still want to hear superhero stories, but I, there is a, a fatigue. There is this, it's not fun anymore. It's almost like work and it's not hard work, but it's like something I don't necessarily find joy in always. And I think when it comes to Marvel, cause I really hesitant to even like, it was hesitant to start Loki. I was hesitant to go to the Marvels. And Secret Invasion is really, like, it really got me down. Because Secret Invasion was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be the show that put everything back. It was supposed to be a tentpole show. And it was just trash. And not even trash in the sense of like, oh, it was just unwatchable. Trash just like the, where Marvel was, where the MCU was into where it is now. It's no longer about making great stories it's just providing content for content and when you get to that level of like you're just making content to make content it really feels like it feels like comic books almost in a way whereas there was a long time where i was buying comic books on a daily basis and i will say after a while it just feels like they're they're not even trying anymore. They're just providing content because people are buying it. And that's really what it kind of appears to be happening when it comes to superheroes. It just seems like they are making content. And there are some surprises. I'm not going to get into like Marvels or Loki. Loki was a fascinating surprise. I will say that. So it was really hard to get into it. I will say I watched like with the Loki and the boys... Uh, I was watching the like, Gen V, the boys, and then watching episode one. It was really hard to get into Loki after that because the writing was so much su- superior, at least for episode one. I digress, though. This is this is the reason why it took a long time. And so, all right, that's that. Let's just get into it. All right. We're going to take a short break, and then we're, we're just going to get into fresh takes. All right. Fresh takes. All right. Time to talk about the Marvels. And it feels weird because I'm so used to rating movies on the TikTok. So I was like, all right, time to rate the Marvels. I'm like, well, not just rating the Marvels. We're talking the Marvels. And this is a fresh take in like the truest sense because I just watched this film last night. And it was really interesting because I didn't watch this the first weekend. I watched this 
a few weeks after it came out. And I already talked about like why it's been so hard for me lately to talk about these films because it's hard to get excited about superheroes. And I already went into it, so I won't get into it here. And while I was waiting to watch this movie, I heard there was like two different opinions I keep hearing. And I, I read a lot of like reviews, a lot of articles. I will spoil things for myself. I'm I'm okay spoiling things for myself. Do I do I want people to spoil things for me? No, but if someone's like, "Hey, I watched this film and I asked how it was and they gave me like a very vague review on it." I'm like, "No, go into detail. Tell me how you really think about it. Tell me about the different parts." Because to me like a a movie and I'm getting a little off track here. To me, like, if a movie is great or good, it will be good even if you spoil it. If a movie has to have this, like, surprise reveal for it to be good, then it's not a good movie. And the two the two opinions that I heard about the Marvels is, one, the MCU is dead and the Marvels suck. It's trash, it's horrible, and the, Mar- the MCU is just going downhill. And the other one was, this movie isn't that bad. It's it's a good movie. And after watching this film, I can say that both these opinions are right to a degree. Both these opinions have merit. Let's talk about the MCU's dead. This movie is terrible, right? They're not necessarily wrong on the whole terrible aspect to it there is parts that are really frustrating about this film is it a terrible movie no it's not a terrible movie on the flip side of it this movie isn't that bad it isn't in a vacuum this movie is actually very enjoyable and i would say that this film the marvels is more enjoyable than captain marvel would i say it's better i don't know i i think we'll talk about how i feel about it towards the end Of this part of the episode. But both have merit. And I'm going to talk about the good parts first. Before I get into the really bad frustrating parts. Because there is a lot of frustrating parts. But I want to talk about the good parts of this film. Right? If you just wanted to have. If you just wanted to go see a fun film. A fun superhero film. Or if you have. Let's say like me. I have a daughter. If she was like four or five years old. And I just wanted to take my daughter. To go see a female superhero movie. This movie's fine for that it's good it's i want to say it's funny but it's a fun movie it's lighthearted. it's fun and you know let's just get into it visually this movie is pretty good looking i didn't complain a lot about the visuals to me it's very appealing the three power sets of these three characters monica rambo captain marvel miss marvel like visually them fighting is appealing to see they're light-based powers I think Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, her like light base creating light into matter that's really similar to her powers in the comics is honestly really cool to see in the big screen. In the TV show, it's kind of meh, but in the big screen, it was visually pleasing to see. And there's a lot of cool action sequences that just make me go, whew. And I just realized that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back a little bit before I go because I want to talk about this film. So I'm just getting into the good part. I kind of want to like briefly recap before I go any further. ADHD brain people. So this movie is about this villain, Dar Ben, I believe that's her name. I, I forget. Her name isn't really said a lot and it's kind of forgettable, which does say a lot about this film. 
Darbem, she's her planet is dying. She needs to get resources. She finds a bangle, the same bangle that Miss Marble has, and it opens up jump points that can steal resources for her dying planet or the planet that's with the dying sun. And all the resources that she's stealing from is from planets that Miss Mar- or Captain Marble has helped or is in alliance with. Because of these jump points, both Monica Rambeau and Captain Marvel, they touch the jump points. Miss Marvel has the bangle. Somehow they are entangled, and every time they use their powers, they swap. Which creates this really fun, exciting, like beginning plot point that is it's fun. It's fun seeing these three characters in three different places swap places interchangeably. It's a really cool idea. And one of the big, like, standpoints of this film. It's not a... In the trailer, it seems like it would be a bigger deal than it was. It is a big deal, but not to the degree the trailer alluded to. And so since they're entangled, they swap places. It's a whole action sequence that is probably the best part of this film. They have to go together. And since this villain is destroying these homes, they go essentially on a space journey together... Um, there's interesting character dynamics that is ex- kind of explored through this film between Monica Rambeau and Captain Marvel and then Captain Marvel with Miss Marvel and then all three together being on a team. And they have to go on these silly adventures. Not silly adventures, but these adventures. One is to a scroll colony. Another is to a colony that has to sing. And I believe those are the only two. And it's fun. It's lighthearted. And then at the end, they get together, they beat the villain because the villain's not going to, you know, steal the resource from Earth. And it makes for a generally interesting film. And you think there's a lot of pieces that you think would make this film good. There is good pieces. There's good premises in this film. Premise. Anyway, I'm getting stuck on the word. There's good parts about this film that you think like, oh, this movie would be good, right? The trailer makes makes you think this movie is going to be good to great. But for some reason, these this movie just doesn't necessarily tie it together. And I want to talk about a little bit more about the good parts before I get into the bad. Because the fight scenes were just fun to see. Like Miss Marvel sliding all over the place. And I will say, Iman Volani, I believe that's her name, she steals the show. She is like the highlight of this movie. Her reaction, her just like her terrifying scream where she's just like in this new place when she switches and she's just suddenly in space and she's just, ah, she's screaming. Like, I don't know why. Her scream is kind of like enjoyable because it's like this frantic, chaotic, like, I need help. But at the same time, like, ooh. Like, that's kind of like her scream. And then when she fangirls over Captain Marvel or, like, Nick Fury or being a part of a team as a superhero, like, that is refreshing. It's fun. It's like, ooh, this is how, like, all our us fans would be in this situation. And I will say, Miss Marvel is the ultimate fan. And it seems like, or the ultimate superhero fan. And you get that in the comic. Amon Vellani is, like, the ultimate comic book fan. Like, she, in a meta way, is Miss Marvel. She is Kamala Khan to, like, a T, right? She fangirls over Marvel. Miss Marvel fangirls over superheroes. So it works perfectly. 
And that fangirl aspect of Miss Marvel really like is the highlight of this film. She does steal the film. And I will say the performances, the actor performances, for the most part, are pretty good. Nick Fury is not the same Nick Fury from Secret Invasion, but this is like the fun Nick Fury from the other films. And if a Secret Invasion didn't happen, then I'm like, oh, it's a fun Nick Fury appearance. Brie Larson. A lot of people complain about Brie Larson, sometimes on film, sometimes off the film. And I'm not going to get into the off the film stuff. I think some of it's ridiculous. Some of it has merit. On film, like in the movie, she can be a little stiff. She was a little stiff in Captain Marvel. The movie was kind of boring. Endgame, a little stiff. I mean, she didn't have to do much. I will say this film, she this is probably her best performance as Captain Marvel. She's more fun. She's a little bit more lighthearted. And like in the moments where her character needs some emotional depth where she's feeling these emotions she's feeling the grief from the past i feel those moments it's not great writing it's there wasn't a great setup to that moment but i will say that brie larson did deliver in that moment and i wouldn't say brie larson is a highlight of the film but i will say her performance was decent it was adequate and honestly i feel like with writing her performance could have been great with better writing now i'm gonna start getting into the negative parts because this movie is pretty frustrating to like the serious fans this movie in a vacuum is a decent film it's borderline good which may spoil my rating a little bit it's a borderline good film in a vacuum Again, if you're just taking your daughter to this film, or if you're taking your son who really likes superheroes and wants to know about, more about Captain Marvel, or if you're, you're just a casual fan, you watched Endgame, you watched Infinity War, you watched the bigger films, and you're like, I'll give this film a try. I never watched Miss Marvel. I didn't watch WandaVision. I didn't watch Secret Invasion, which good on you if you didn't. I didn't even watch Captain Marvel. I'm going to watch this film. It's fine. It does the job. It's enjoyable. And it's short. But if you're someone like me who watched everything, all the movies, all the TV shows, this film is frustrating. This movie feels like a comic book crossover. It feels like a comic book crossover where you are, let's say, let's use Miss Marvel, for example. You're a Miss Marvel fan. You followed her whole entire story, her whole comic book run and then they go to this crossover between captain marvel and photon or binary monica rambo whatever her name is which is a thing in the film and you pick up the the crossover you pick up the the events which that's a whole thing to get into when it comes to comic books i hate crossovers some of them are pretty good but some of them are just like they're just there and the thing I hate about them is that you'll have like your main character who has their own arc and then they go brought up into this other story. And that's what this movie feels like. This movie feels like you just watch Miss Marvel. She goes on a crossover event with Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau. And they go on this adventure and you're like, ooh, I don't really understand what's happening. And you know what? If I read the other comics, 
I think I might enjoy this more. This might be good if I read the other comics. But the thing is, there is no other comics. This movie, The Marvels, references to something that didn't happen, or at least not in front of our eyes. It keeps referencing a story where it, that seems like it was supposed to be Captain Marvel 2. Where she goes and fights the Kree Empire. There's a whole civil war. She kills the Supreme Intelligence, which influences the villain. And it keeps referencing these events like it happened in a movie. There's literally like these flashbacks. There's a sequence where they have to put on a memory device, a scroll memory device, and they're having these flashbacks through like all these films. Like it'll show scenes from other films or other TV shows, but then it will cut into these flashbacks, like the flashbacks were part of another movie, but they never were, which is fine. Like I'm okay with movies or TV shows referencing things that we didn't see on screen, but the problem with this movie is that they didn't really set they didn't set it up in this movie either. It referenced it like it happened, and it like it happened in the story, but it. Like, it wasn't a movie. We don't know what they're referencing to. Which felt really disconjointed of this film. And this film is kind of like a crossroads of a film, of sorts. <coughs> Excuse me. There is four storylines here. Four characters that this movie is following. One, you got Captain Marvel. And I'm just going to find Captain Marvel Endgame, her story, through those two films. Is part of it. Then you got Monica Rambeau's character, right? Captain Marvel, WandaVision. It has Miss Marvel with Miss Marvel TV show. And then it has Nick Fury's character with Secret Invasion. And I will tell you this this movie sucks at combining those four storylines together because it doesn't. It really doesn't. It kind of glosses over Captain Marvel's story, but it like it keeps referencing to stuff that we didn't see. And it only shows us glimpses of what happened. It does not set up prior events well. They gloss over Monica Rambeau's story, right? If you didn't watch WandaVision, and like you got your powers going through a witch hex or a witch hex, it's like, wait, what? Explain? And I'm not saying this film has to explain it, but like they don't really show it. They don't really go deep into it. They don't really go deep in Monica Rambeau's character. It just kind of glossed over like, oh, you just got your powers this way. It's like, yeah. And if you watch WandaVision, you're like, aha, I know how. But like, I don't. It doesn't make sense. Miss Marvel references her show, but they don't really go deep into her parents or her brother who are in the movie. Bruno isn't for reasons, I guess. And then Secret Invasion is probably the worst offense here because Nick Fury in that show is like a Nick Fury who's uninspired. He lost his fastball and he's just depressed. Not He's not Nick Fury from before. And this movie is like that, except he's not no longer depressed. He's just, it seems like he's lazy and happy-go-lucky. He's making jokes over like serious issues. And it's like it it feels really disconjointed when the last thing we watched 
or I guess the last thing I watched is Loki, but the last the thing before that was Secret Invasion where Nick Fury had all this storyline. And they even referenced the scrolls. There's scrolls in this movie, and they don't reference Secret Invasion at all. Like, the people who made the Marvels had no idea what happened in, in Secret Invasion. And so if you follow all of these storylines, which in the past from Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3, like, all these interconnected pretty decently. Like, you can follow along. But when you go from Secret Invasion to the Marvels, it's just very disconjointed because you can tell they did not they didn't know what happened in Secret Invasion. And it doesn't line up at all. And it's really, really frustrating. And you know what? If it didn't... Even if this film, like, didn't... It didn't do... It didn't combine these storylines well. But let's say it did, right? Or let's say, like, it didn't matter. Let's say it doesn't matter if they, like, combine these well. Because at the end of the day, if this film was um, great to amazing... It would have been those things that would have been overlooked. Like, you can explain it somehow, some way. But the problem is, this film doesn't do a great job at all setting up its storylines. And there was a lot of wasted storylines in this movie that were actually pretty good ideas. There was a lot of good ideas in this movie. There was a lot of cool premises. The trailer with everybody switching showed what could have been a great storyline feature. And they do show it a lot. And it was fun. But it wasn't, like, overly utilized. And it wasn't, like, utilized in a clever way. It was like, haha, this would be cool, right? And like, yeah, that'd be cool. But they don't do anything more than that. They don't use their teleporting ability to come up with creative solutions. And maybe that's the fact that I keep watching One Piece and there's so many different like power dynamics with the different characters and it's always really refreshing to see how characters defeat other characters because they're using like their brains, they're using creative solutions. Like I just watched Lightning God versus Rubber Man and like realizing that Rubber Man isn't affected by Lightning but Lightning Man has to like overcome Rubber Man in a smart creative way and not use his like and there's a little bit of that aspect with their because they can't use their powers at the same time otherwise they switch and there's a little like a little bit clever like hey don't use your powers here because we'll fight but i felt like it could have been a lot more and it could have been great but it just wasn't fully utilized and i feel like this movie that's what this movie is a lot of cool ideas Overall, a good time, but not smartly put together. And I just, I wrote a list of like the, I wrote a list of 10 storylines that kind of just were wasted. For example, the character dynamics, which I talked about a little bit. Captain Marvel is the sole focus of this film. She is, I wouldn't say she's the main protagonist. But she is the central figure. Everybody rotates around Captain Marvel. And let's talk about the team, right? You have Miss Marvel and you have Monica Rambeau. Miss Marvel is a huge, super mega fan of Captain Marvel. It's an interesting dynamic. She's freaking out when she realizes she was in her bedroom and she was in her house. She freaked out when she met her. And they do gloss over it they do talk about it but i felt like it could have been a lot more 
the whole idea is that she's just fanning out the entire time and then miss marvel like captain marvel could just be more annoyed by it like okay okay enough like i'm not a superstar i'm you know they could have played with more of that dynamic on the flip side of things monica rambeau she is is mad at captain marvel she feels abandoned because captain marvel you know Carol Danvers, she was an aunt. She was an important figure in her life. And she left to do space things and never came back. Like, some, imagine a kid who's seven, eight years old. This person's like your hero and they just never come back for you. Right? There is abandonment issues there. It's not a, as bad as like abandoned parents or abandoned father, but it's close to that. And which is a really... Interesting dynamic because you have those three characters. You have one who's a huge fan of Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel, and the other one is, you know, essentially family but mad at the abandonment. And then in the middle of that, you have Captain Marvel, who has a really interesting character arc to her where she is filled with grief, filled with grief for her actions and how she handled the Kree Empire. Which should have been a whole movie with itself, but like you could do, you could have done it in this film too. They tried to do it in this film, they failed. They could have done it, and I'll talk about how how I would redo this film, how I would rewrite it, because I feel like there is at least a good movie in this film somewhere. Captain Marvel is regretting her past. Which effect is why she didn't come back to Earth. This is why she didn't go back to see Monica. Miss Marvel is a huge fan. And then you have a villain who hates Captain Marvel. Uh, you have a whole culture who hates Captain Marvel. On top of the fact that we visit other places who are fans or at least allied with Miss or Captain Marvel. And at one point, one of the alliances are like, we are no longer like allies. We do not want you of a part of our civilization and these are interesting characters like these are interesting relationships to have and this movie could have dove deep into all of these relationships encountered each other miss marvel monica rambeau like those two are opposites that could have made an interesting dynamic darben the villain i think that's what her name is like she is upset she could be agreeing with Monica, right? She's on the opposite side of Miss Marvel. She's on the opposite side of Captain Marvel. Like, these are interesting character dynamics. And this movie glosses over it, but it never dives deep, which is wasted. The Scrolls storyline, right? From Secret Invasion, Captain Marvel wasn't there. They didn't bring it up. Right? There is a whole interesting dynamic. Hey, our whole civilization, we're dealing with you know, people killing aliens, spoilers for Secret Invasion, like Earth is now hunting down scrolls, and there was 10 million, there was like the whole population on Earth, according to that show, whereas according to this movie, they're scattered throughout the universe in small little fragments, which completely conflict each other, but they didn't continue the scroll storyline. On top of it, they didn't continue Nick Fury's storyline at all. He was just there he was old nick fury except a little bit lazier and i when i say lazy i mean like there's literally a part in the film where he's like you know these two underlings are like hey we have a problem in the space station like 
we can't do plan A. And he's like, well, find out, figure it out, go do plan B. It's like, no, Nick Fury's smarter than that. He should have a plan B already planned. Like, after watching Winter Soldier, where he had plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so on, when it comes to when he got attacked by Winter Soldier, he comes and he's yelling at people to figure out a plan B? I believe it was the escape pods. Like, it just very disconjoined in writing. Really disconjoined. Like, it doesn't feel like it's the Nick Fury from Secret Invasion, nor the Nick Fury from previous movies. At least attitude-wise, it is, but not necessarily intelligence. The switching of powers, or the switching of the teleportation between the characters, for the most part was, like... That's the part of the story that they did touch up a, a lot on. But I felt like it could have been a little bit more creative in defeating the villain, right? Like they could have done the switching back and forth and figured out a creative way to defeat the villain that way. And the villain, power-wise, had an immunity to at least Captain Marvel. And it also seemed like she had an immunity to Monica Rambeau too, which is really fascinating right she is she has a bangle on she has light-based powers and anytime the other light-based superheroes use their powers against her the bangle was absorb it giving granting her an immunity of some sort which is fascinating but they don't really touch they don't go deep at all they don't have the characters figure out a creative way to beat her they just eventually beat her and that's it they don't use the teleportation abilities. They don't have to. They don't use a other creative way to defeat her. She more or less defeats herself in a selfish way, and to me, that's just lazy. It's lazy writing, and maybe it's because I've been watching One Piece, where that's again every arc they come up with a creative solution to defeat their opponents, or the opponents come up with a creative solution to beat the heroes. This movie has creative ideas, but they don't use the creative ideas in creative ways. And it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to watch because this movie could have been at least good. And it wasn't. And here's the thing. I guess I should finish the list because I'm only at seven. And then I'll get into what I was going to say next. Other ways of potential. Sword itself. Uh, this organization in space that Nick Fury runs I don't even know why they're up there (laughs) like why are they there what's their purpose they never get into it they're just there it's a space station Nick Fury runs it that's all we know at one point like it collapses for reasons that I don't know they do have a creative solution to get people off the the space station onto earth which is using the flackens to eat up all the um, space people the sword people that was fun that was a creative solution i will give this movie credit they did have one creative solution and the idea of like they they you know there is a like 20 or so kittens running around eating the crew and there's like this um the voice on uh i am blanking the announcing voice like they're saying let the kittens eat you and you see like the horror on the crew's face as they're getting eaten by kittens. And then you see Miss Marvel coming with like taking a cat and eating people. 
so they can like land safely. Like that was creative. That was a creative solution. I will give them that. That was fun. It was kind of dumb because I have no idea what was happening on the space station. I have no idea why they were having to land. I have no idea why they're up there. It wasn't really well thought out, but that was the one creative solution that I wish they would have used to actually like defeat the villain. No, they didn't really do that. There is one part that they didn't talk about, the singing planet. Whereas they go on and everybody's singing to them. They're dancing. They're celebrating. It's Captain Marvel got married to a prince. But it's... they just like, oh, it's a... It's a informal... Or it's a formal arrangement. It's just politics. It's, you know, nothing serious. But they don't go into detail at all of why it happened. How she feels about it. She, they just go there. She's dancing around. She's singing. And they're like, we need new suits. And they give them new suits like instantaneously. And then boom, action happens. And I'm like, the singing planet idea is like, ooh, that's interesting. I don't know if it fits for this movie, but it's interesting at least. And they don't go deeper. It's a good idea that they don't really go deeper into. And the last one is... There's one um, when they're saving the scrolls, and the Darbin takes the air or the atmosphere, and they're trying to save everybody, but they can only save half. And Captain Marvel goes to Miss Marvel, we can only save the people that we can save. And boom, cut, edit, moving on. Wasted. Miss Marvel becoming a better hero would have been a great story. Captain Marvel being a mentor. And, like, they focus on that, her becoming a better hero. Interesting. Would have been great. They didn't do it. They had that one line, and they cut it right away. And I, going over time a little bit here, but when I think about this movie, I'm wondering, where did it go wrong? Is it just really cool ideas with bad writing to intertangle everything? Or was it bad editing? Because there's a lot of cool ideas. There's a lot of cool stuff here. But it really feels like this movie was botched by the studio. Because there's a lot of bad editing. And there's a lot of moments that would have been great if they would have lingered on a little bit more. But they cut it and they move on and it just doesn't flow well. Like if you're not paying attention to the story, you're like, oh, okay. It's still like fast movie, lighthearted. But this movie is significantly shorter than any other film in MCU. Like, this is one of the shortest, if not the shortest movie. And it really felt like what the studio executives wanted to do. I'm not saying it's just Kevin Feige. It could have been, you know, Marvel itself. It seemed like they really, really needed this movie to be a hit. They really needed this movie to test well. And so they just cut whatever they needed to cut to make casual fans enjoy this film. And in a way, they succeeded, right? The movie isn't as bad as as everyone's making out to be. You're right. It's not as bad. It's not trash. It's not a trash film. In a vacuum, it's it's barely a good film. Like, it, it's barely there. But the thing is, if you watched all these films, you watched the movies, you watched the TV shows, and you're caught up, this this sucks. It just does. It is not a good chapter. And what is the most frustrating part is this movie could have been great. At least good. It could have been great. For example, 
if this movie would have this movie just starts off with the villain getting the bangle and you're like why is there getting the bangle if this movie would have started out with captain marvel coming to the kree planet destroying the super intelligence and like being shown as like a villain of sorts as a monster and then go lead into the villain getting the bangle then leaving the miss marvel that would have been great that would have been such a great like start because then you would feel for the villain because you don't feel for darben you don't at all but her story is actually interesting her planets she's desperate she's desperate she sees captain marvel as this villainous figure as a monster and she knows she's out not just for revenge but she's out for her planet to get resources so they can live and you don't get that at all they don't dive deep at all she's just a villain whereas she could have been a great sympathetic villain if they would have just set her story up well right them switching could have been used in a smart manner they could have dived deep into monica hating captain marvel and played off those relationships between miss marvel loving her and monica hating her and it could have brought those two like those three together who had to be together so they didn't constantly switch and force those situ like those issues to resolve right captain marvel feels guilty she doesn't feel like a hero miss marvel treats her as a hero that situation there's a conflict there they have to resolve it by being together right captain marvel feels guilty for what she did to monica monica is pissed off at captain marvel for abandoning her could have naturally resolved that could have been the highlight the focus of the film all right miss marvel becoming a better hero could have been a character arc arc captain marvel embracing the fact that she is a mentor she is a role model she is a captain she is a hero could have been great monica always this is the fact that she is a superhero she's just a person with powers she could have embraced forgiving captain marvel she could have embraced the idea of also being a mentor also being a positive hero they don't do that and honestly, that's like the most, that, as I stated several times in this already, that's the most frustrating part. Is there was a good movie here. There was potentially a great movie here. And I don't know if it's writing. I don't know if it's the studio cutting this movie to pieces. I don't know. But this movie failed in that regard. So, getting into the ratings, I don't want to dive too deep into the Marvels. I don't want this catch-up episode to be super long. Because this is one of four projects. Maybe one of three. I'm not sure yet on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You guys could probably guess where I'm going to rate this. I'm giving it a 2+. Some of you might think it's too high. Some of you might think it's too low. But I'm hear, hear me out. There is good parts in this film. There is good ideas, if not great ideas. It's just not executed. This movie is also just, this movie's meh. It is a meh movie. And in a vacuum, where you're not comparing to other films, it's three minus. It's not much more than that. But since it is connected to a larger universe and fails to really bring those storylines together in a meaningful way, it's a two plus. That being said, it is a fun movie to watch. Go take your daughter to it. Or have them watch it on uh, DVD. Right, DVD. <laughs> Streaming. 
So it's a two plus. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Let's get into Loki. Loki season two to be specific. And first and foremost, I want to say I kind of I I regret not doing this show at least immediately. Because I'll be honest, because we already talked about how in the beginning of this episode that super fatigue as superhero fatigue and just like watching shows just really has become difficult for me lately. I already talked about that. But Loki is like one of those specific shows that like, it was hard to start. And I regret not just going through with it, at least like when it the, the, the season ended. Not going with it and then doing a review on it. Because this show, just like season one, Ended very greatly. Like, Loki as a TV show really needs to be examined in film school for how to end a TV show. Or I should say at least how to end TV seasons. Because just like season one, season two ended, its ending made it better, right? The way... It ended the show. Turned from what is like a a good show into a great show. Let's start with season one, right? Season one had the was for the most part a pretty good, interesting show, and it was good for five episodes. And the biggest problem about Loki is probably in season one. The biggest problem was this: they tried to make a movie. A longer movie, right? Instead of making a Loki movie, they just made it a little bit longer and turned it into a TV show. And it doesn't quite work that way because the way you ch- cut up the chapters, certain episodes were just kind of like not much of a story. And so season one was good, it was interesting. It was a fun watch, especially if you just watch it and you just binge watch it. It was a great ride if you just binge watched it. Not so much a week to week, but if you binge watch it, it was good. But then it ends. Where they go to the end of time. They go to... I forget exactly where they went, but they go into that that castle, the end of time, where he who remains is there. And as soon as Jonathan Majors hit that screen and just monologued his way into making a good show great if not amazing in that moment like it took a good show to a great show Loki season one was a four minus for me and it was it only got that four because of he who remains Jonathan Majors I still watch that scene I will just I won't even watch Loki season one I'll just like cut to episode six and just watch he who remains and watch Jonathan Majors perform because no matter what his off off camera issues are whether he, you know, the things he was accused of it actually happened, whether it did or did not, his on-screen presence, at least when he has the spotlight for that role, is my god amazing. 
But you understand why Marvel is just like, yes, Jonathan Majors, you are the one who will take us there. Obviously, that didn't work out. But you can see why they did it, because He Who Remains was fascinating. Loki Season 1 became great, because of him alone. Maybe not him alone, but like he brought him there. And Season 2 does something really similar. And I will say this. It's not a, a one particular performance that brings it to a great show. It is mostly just the way they decided to end this version of Loki and gave him like a significance. The last episode is honestly uh, at least great. I'm close to saying elite. Set ending was great. And so if you if you guys ever want to write something or write a story, whether it's a comic or a book, or you're going into film school and you want to work on TV shows or movies, Loki, watch Loki simply for the sake of knowing how to end on a high note. Because Loki didn't just do it season one, they did it season two as well. They did it throughout the series. And I regret not covering the show because I geeked out at the end of it. I was like, holy shit, hot damn. I remember watching the first five episodes and it took me a while to watch the finale, but I saw the reviews for the finale and be like, oh, the show is getting some pretty good reviews. It wasn't getting good reviews, but now it's getting like great reviews. Like Loki's, what happened? And then I watched it. I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's great. Now, just so I can dive in in case I don't cover it earlier in this episode. Because I'm recording these at different times. Loki season one, or Loki season two, the episode one. I had a hard time starting. I kind of wanted to fin it, like wait until Loki, all of it came out to review it. At least like most of it. And that's what I did for the most part. And the reasons for it is superhero fatigue and One Piece. I like One Piece is just such a simple watch. It continues the story and it's just it's an easy watch. And it's just I never know what's gonna happen in that show. But there was a time where I watched Gen V for the boys. And I watched like the first four episodes. And that show is great. If you haven't wa- uh, listened to my episode or haven't watched that show yet, please do. Because that show is phenomenal. And I remember watching the first four episodes of Gen V. And then watching Loki episode one for season two. And just after watching with the whole Obi Ouroboros episode where Loki, they we're dealing with the the ramifications of season one and we're dealing with Loki dealing with the fact that he's slipping through time and they have to solve that issue. It was a fine episode. It was good. But the comparison between Gen V and Loki for this episode alone, it it was hard. It was a noticeable difference. I was kind of just eh on Loki. It was good. Worthy of a watch. But after watching great content like One Piece or Gen V, it is a considerable drop off. At least for this episode. And so for a good couple weeks, I only had episode one in mind. And I had a hard time starting Loki. But let me tell you this. Because I then watched... 
episode two with the idea of like, I'm going to binge watch it and it's going to, it might be hard, but I'll, I'll get through it. Then I'll watch episode two, Breaking Brad, where Loki and Mobius are talking. They're talking about their life. They're talking about jet skis. They're talking about Loki taking over Avengers and them, those who are just going back and forth. And Loki's just kind of being honest about himself. He's at this place where he's honest. And that conversation between Loki and Mobius just, I noticed something different with this episode. Loki switched format. Instead of being like a mini movie, season two had mo- has movie moments, but it is more of a TV show. It embraced being a TV show. Because how often do we just get two characters sitting at a table just chatting back and forth about their lives? We don't get that in movies, right? It's, there's too much going on for a movie to happen. We didn't get that in Loki uh, season one. But here we are. And just Tom Hiddleston, Owen Wilson, like those two just chatting back and forth, like as Loki and as Mobius, was such a treat. Like, I can watch 10 hours of that. I don't know why. It just was fascinating to me. Loki, Mobius, just chatting back and forth. Loki just talking about the fact that, like, he was trying to take over New York City. He was fighting Iron Man. And he's just casually talking about, like, how he did that. I'm fascinated by that. I don't know why. But it was a fun watch. And then them going to, like, good cop, bad cop, trying to break uh, Brad, trying to see where Sylvia is. And then just seeing how Mobius interacts and how Loki does. And then them tying with the idea that, like, Loki, you you are a good guy now, but you're still a villain. And Loki using his villainous methods, his means, to, like, interrogate him was fascinating. Because you see that Loki's changed, but you see him dive back deep so he can get that information you see him become his villain aside again and you see brad just antagonizing him to get there and this is the episode where i watched i was like damn this is this is great episode two two breaking brad might be my favorite episode of this series and yes loki now is done I think Tom Hiddleston also is probably done as Loki. Like, it's over. And this might be my favorite content. It's just this episode and Loki just being evil. But even though he's changed, but you can see him going back to it. Because the moment where he's like that shrinking cube, I forget what it was called. And they were trying to shrink Brad. And like Brad's like, hey, you're not going to do it. But it's like, no, it's Loki. <laughs> he's murdered s- several millions. Also, just the fact that Brad was like, ha, 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 you're such a hypocrite. Like, we we're going to save people. Like, you're going to save people. You, you just, mur-. like, it's fascinating dialogue. I'm here for it. And they did it, like, in a very stylistic television manner. Rather than an extended movie cut in the six pieces, right? And this is the episode that just changed it for me. Because then I was hooked. I was in. The first one, not so much. This episode, though, ooh. You can tell that they're diving into what makes Loki tick. And Loki is a fascinating character. 
he's not purely evil. Like, you could say he he aligns chaotically evil because he does evil things. He's about himself. But at the end of the day, he goes from, like, a chaotic evil to, like, a chaotic neutral. Maybe chaotic good. And it's just... It's... It was. A, it's a fun watch. Loki is a fascinating character. He's more about himself. But there is comic book stories where he turns into a good person. Or a good god, so to speak. I also like the aspect of him and Sylvie just being like, we are gods. Like, the idea of, like, they shouldn't, like, choose time. They shouldn't choose what stories matter. They shouldn't choose this. And then his response is, we are gods. Like, this is our role. And I think that's fascinating. Now, I will say episode three, episode four is a little bit downward slope. Episode three, I kind of started losing interest. Like, I was in through episode two. Then getting to episode three where we go to, I forget the character's name. The favorite, the, wow, I am blanking on the clock the ai and then renslayer right yeah renslayer and it's missed something (laughs) i forget but the ai they go they're trying to control themselves they're trying to control the tba they find he who remains or the guy the version of timely the version of kang who becomes he who remains and I love, I think this is like the point where they changed this because Kang was supposed to be the next big bad. And I think this is where they went back for reshoots and changed it. And I don't know if they did reshoots. I didn't do the research. I apologize. So I don't know if this was always a plan or if they changed it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they changed this part of it where they take timely and instead of having him be the one who becomes he who remains they kind of like pick him to the side like we don't need him right it's kind of like the meta saying like we don't need jonathan majors anymore we're changing that right it can be anyone and the next few movies right it can be dr doom which dr doom is a great villain that's like the only villain i think that makes sense still if you're going to pivot off kang is pivoting off the dr doom and dr doom should have always been in the plans anyway Along with Kang. Like, Kang is, like, the first great one. It should have been Doctor Doom next. That might still be the plan. Who knows? And who knows if it'll be good at this point in time with Marvel. This episode was fine. 19, or 1893. You get to learn about Timely. You get to learn about Renslayer. You get to learn about... I can't think of the AI's name. I really need to look it up. And it's hard to do both looking it up and that. This is why I need a second person. Like, give me that, give me that thing that I'm forgetting about. All right, Miss Minutes. I can't believe I blanked on Miss Minutes. Miss Minutes, right? And then we go into so they're doing their thing, and you think like, oh, they're going to be the next villains, and that's not quite the case. And I'm I'm happy that they didn't make them the next villain. They're like, oh, King doesn't need to be the villain. We'll be the next. And we'll be the 
antagonist, the opponents of Loki and Mobius. It's natural to tease it, but I'm happy they didn't go with it. And that's where I thought they were going because it's like, that's boring, right? It's a lesser of two evils. It's a lesser of two villains. And then we get to the heart of TBA where the loom, all the multiverse is spreading. They can't control it and everything's falling apart. And you have this like dire moment, like, hey, the TVA can't control it. We will all be erased. We will all be disintegrated for reasons. And I remember this episode because there was like this crisis. And I had a hard time following this crisis. And I pay t- like I was paying attention. I read a lot of comics, read a lot of time things. And I, as someone who's like really well engaged, who's really well informed, I had a hard time following the story of this. Because to me, like time, just like the end of time and merging timelines together so they don't like collide and disintegrate. Like to me, I don't understand it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure a casual fan who doesn't, who isn't as well informed as I am, won't understand it. So to me, when I was watching that episode, I'm like, it's very timey wimey. It's like doom, but I don't understand the doom that's happening. It's not relatable. And so this episode where they're trying to like fix the loom and they're trying to fix the issue to me, it didn't like feel that big because I wasn't understanding what was happening, but I will say the ending of this where it just, everything turns to black where they fail. And it's kind of like the infinity war end game moment where like, Oh, they failed. And this is where it kind of flips its head a little bit, Right. You think this is where this show is going. They're going to save time. Loki is going to move on. And they're like, no, this we're not doing that. We're not going the safe option. They didn't do safe here. And I f- fucking love the fact that they didn't go safe. I love it. And I think that decision really saved this show. And honestly, you could make the argument that it saved the MCU. Because as I was saying in the Marvel section... That the lot of between the Marvels and Loki, there was two two things that were like two opinions that I keep reading about. One is the MCU's doomed. Miss Marvels is trash is trash and it's doomed. And the other one is Miss Marvels is better than you think, and MCU's on the upswing with Loki. And you know what? It, it might be. I'm not betting money on it. Not, you know, not putting my mortgage on it. Not sell, I'm not betting the house. But they chose not to be safe. They chose something drastic. And it paid off well. Because what happened afterwards, everything fell apart. And Loki is able to time slip out of there. And he's able to go to the main timeline or one of the main timelines and find everybody. And it's really interesting how he's trying to get these people into back to the TVA. But it's like, no, these people were stolen. Like, this is where they should be. It's unnatural for them to be in the TVA. And Loki coming to grips with it because, like, his TVA self is when he became his most honest. It's when he... He found a home. He found a place. And it's, you know, when you have your home, when you have your 
mates when you have your friends and then they disperse but like that's where they belong it, it's hard it's it was great to see loki kind of grasp that and grasp with the idea that he's trying to fix it right they're all getting together to fix it and i like how Ourobor, like Ouroboros, obi he's just a science fiction writer he's not actually a scientist but then he's like here your version another version your variants of yourself wrote this and then he's able to like do it it's kind of hard to believe but at the same time it's like you know it works it works for the moment and i will say the last episode glorious purpose is the is great at the minimum and I will say Breaking Brad is probably my favorite episode of the Loki series and probably my favorite Loki moments. Glorious Purpose might be the best episode of the series from a, not a fan point. Season 1, episode 6, that finale is also worthy of like fighting. But this episode is at least a 4+, plus, if not a 5-, minus, if not a 5 I don't know. I have to rewatch it to really rate that episode. But I love the idea how time is falling apart. And Loki is just doing everything he can. He is now a hero. Right? Everything's falling apart. There is no gain with this for him. He has to change it. And he realizes that there is no simple fix. And he finds that the only solution is to do hard work and figure out like he spends centuries and i will say like the whole transition of him doing centuries and then you know like how do we fix this problem like what do i need to know how long will it take centuries and he he's like okay and then centuries later and he comes back i will say that they could have done that better i think that's like the only negative i have with this but then again like what else are are you really going to spend like more time on that idea that he's had it take centuries to learn it. Do we need a montage? Do we need to see it? Do we need an episode for it? I don't think so. Like it works to just say three centuries later. We or we get it. 300 years later he learned it. We get that. It, it could have been a little bit better done. But we get it. And to see him look at this problem. And still not be able to fix it. And realizing that like. The only way that time will be saved and all these people will be saved is to make the heroic sacrifice. Just give up my version, my variant life, and put all these pieces together and do that for the eternity of time so that people's lives can be saved. And having Loki, who in the main timeline... It took him forever and ever and ever and over and over and over again to be the, be the hero, die, villain, become the hero again. And he did that in Infinity War, right? He took the heroic sacrifice. He did that and then he died. And in this show, he does it a few times, but like he never like fully lays out himself. And to see like the slow build up to this moment, to see Loki become the hero to give up his life he's been selfish this entire time to see that transition to see him care about his tva members and to see that transition was a beauty to be told 
and I was not expecting it. It caught me by surprise. And Loki season two was, they took a risk and it worked out fabulously. And I wish I would have covered this more and I went more detail to detail, but I think I'm kind of at the point where like this show, if we focus on the whole, it's good with great moments in between. And so if I had to give this season a rating, I think I'd give it a four. It can't be much higher because there's a lot of just myth parts. Not myth, but like good parts. But there's a lot of great, if not elite parts in this film or in this television show and this season. And it, it, it's a four. Season one's a four minus. Season two is a four. The last episode is a I, I'm just saying it's a five minus. It's great. The ending is one of the greatest superhero endings of all time. And maybe it's recency bias to say it's one of the greatest, but like it's one of those stories that just feels fulfilled. Right? We didn't quite get that with the first Loki. Or like our Loki. We get this variant Loki who kind of goes through a very similar process and he gets the ending he deserves. Which is sad, but also heroic in a way. The only thing I would say for Loki season two is I wish, and like Loki, the show itself, I wish Thor was more involved. And I'm not saying Thor being like a main character. I'm saying Thor just being involved because Thor is such a, like, that's Loki's like biggest relationship is Thor. And I wish we would have saw that moment where those two were able to reunite again. Maybe like right before that moment, he brings Thor in and Thor sees what he has to do. And we, we might get that later on. But that's a, like that's the only thing I'm like, you know what, that would have made this perfect. Thor is like the, the necessary piece. I feel like it would be a five across the board. And if he was a main character, or at least a variant of Thor, I think it would have been better. But of course, obviously, different IP, different, you know, you want Loki to be the focus. So I understand that aspect. And I do think Thor is missing at least at least some interactions. So I don't have much more to say about Loki. It's great. It's It's great in moments. It's mostly good. Does it save the MCU? No. But hopefully it's a sign to things to come. The Marvels doesn't save it. It's it's frustrating movie. It's fine. It's okay. But it's frustrating. Like it more. The Marvels kind of like oh yep they're they're not taking the time and the focus to make a, and write a cohesive story that is actually worth putting time and money into. Loki's like the opposite. Like, oh, they took a risk. Oh, this character has a great ending. And it means, hopefully it means a lot. We'll see. Right? We'll see the inclusion of Kang. We'll see what happens. So, I'm going to wrap it up. Loki, it's a four. Season two is a four. I think as a show, I have to rewatch it again in order. As of now, I think I'd say it's a four minus. Um, just because it's mostly just a good show with great parts with some elite parts into it so it hits the greater threshold 
but I think it's still borderline. So four minus. All right, yeah, we're gonna take a break. Moving on to Blue Beetle next. I wonder how many more times we can do the low strings without you guys getting annoyed. We got at least one more. Anyway, hello, welcome guys. We're talking Blue Beetle now. And Blue Beetle is like one of those movies that I feel guilty about for not reviewing. Because I was excited for it. I was excited for Blue Beetle. My experience with Blue Beetle is mostly through Young Justice. Um, I mean, comics here and there. Read a few of the issues when he was with Teen Titans. And... Yeah, most of my experience with Blue Beetle is Young Justice Season 2. I forget the exact... I forget what the title of Season 2 was. I feel like if I, if I would see it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's that. Invasion? Maybe it's Invasion. I very squeak when I said Invasion. Either way. So Blue Beetle, I, I feel hard. It's hard to just, like, talk about this movie. And I don't, I don't want to come across as like it's hard to talk about this movie because it's bad. But like in a weird way, that's exactly what I'm doing, right? Like it's a hard to talk about this movie because this movie is not. It's a movie. Like this movie is simply a movie that like was not necessary in any degree because but it's also a movie that like i'm happy that it's out and what i mean by this is and like it's a movie that i didn't feel like i had to see right but i'm happy that it's out because it's a movie that it's a young hispanic male getting powers and be being a very dc hispanic version of spider-man like blue beetle feels like spider-man to me to like a lesser degree. But I work at a school now and I look, I've been like walking around and I've been seeing people wearing blue beetle. I've been seeing like little kids wearing blue beetle material. Like I see like little Hispanic boys and they're wearing blue beetle. I'm like that's great. This is what it's for. It's for those kids getting the proper representation. I will say blue beetle is just as a character, I've always liked blue beetle from Young Justice. Like, it was one of my favorite characters. Like, that was the character I wanted to know more about. That's the character I wanted to be explored, and they did a very good job. So when I heard that Blue Beetle was going to be a movie, I was like, cool. Like, this is a character that I want to see a movie for. But it was weird, because it's not... Like, if this was James Gunn DCU, I would have been a lot more excited. But this was, like, in the weird DCEU with no plan. And then it happened to be releasing this, like, we have four DCU movies that happened this year. And none of them was going to be in the new DCU. And that's kind of what happened with this movie. But, unlike, I would say, Shazam or Flash, which I think I have a higher rating than this movie overall. This movie, I think, had the best, um, it had low expectations. I think people were expecting like an HBO Max streaming movie that was the same vein as like um, Batgirl, but this movie kind of like had a surprise. The main actor, I cannot say his name. 
I'm sorry, guys. I like look at his name and I'm like, I need to hear it. And I don't know. He did a great job. Absolutely fantastic. I think I enjoyed a lot of these actors, at least the family. Like, I enjoyed the family dynamic. It, like, felt, like, initially it felt kind of shoehorned. Like, oh, of course he had a family. Because, like, it seems like we're doing this family dynamic with a lot of different superheroes. And Blue Beetle, my experience with this family is that he had one grandpa. But I also think about, like, Hispanic culture. And, like, they're very family-oriented. And I actually just love the dynamics of the family. He has the sister who is, like, annoying but there and present, very much his best friend. He has his dad who's, like, honorable, his mom. Nana is just crazy. Like, she did some shit when she was younger. Like, that's how you feel about Nana. And they play upon that, which is fun. And George Lopez is, like, Lopez. George Lopez's character is arguably the greatest character. He's very much like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, he's, like, that rough redneck. He reminds me a lot of my brother-in-law, like, how he would be in, like, the most extreme. And I mean that in, like, a really good way. Uh, rest in peace to my brother-in-law. But that's, like, the character that he, like, that's who he reminds me of. Like, the crazy uncle that is, like, somehow is, like, smart enough to, like, figure all the shit out that you need. But who's rough around the edges, but he's there in the deepest shit with you. And I really appreciate George Lopez's character. I love the fact that, like, as they're going through the story of Blue Beetle. And they're going through, like, the story of, like, uh, Tim Cord. Is it Ted Cord? Sorry. Apologies, apologize there. Ted Cord, and he's just like, ah, oh, Ted Cord, he's a great hero. Batman, he's a fascist. And also, like, the joke where they're going through, like, the Blue Beetle stuff. And, like, there's just a bunch of unfinished projects. And I was thinking the exact same thing as the main character, Jaime. It was like, is this, is he, is he just Batman, but with ADHD? And I'm like, hell, I'm like, I love it. I love the references. But also, I'm like, man, does this mean I can never be Batman? Like, if I got a billion dollars, could I just never be Batman? And I'm like, wait, no, I couldn't. I could not be dedicated for that a lot of time. I would love to have, like, that dedication and hyper-focus. But, no, I'd be more Ted Cord if I was, like, a really smart, intelligent engineer who could make, like, crazy weapons or technology. It would be a lot of half-assed finisher projects. I really like that joke. Going to the story, though, it's hard to just go further because it's just a movie, right? It's all about Jaime. He's trying to get a job. He's like a college graduate. He's trying to get a job. He goes to court industries. Um, there's a big evil white person who's not a male, but who's Victoria Cord. She's doing bad things, has a bad... You know, has like this evil technology that's going to rule the world or help her rule. He comes in. Uh, Jenny Cord is like the character that brings everybody together. She's a girl. He's a guy. They have love interests because they have to. She brings her the old alien object who chooses Jaime. He's the chosen one because he has great character. He be- learns to become a hero and become, like, one with this alien technology. And that's the movie, basically. Like, that's it. And I feel bad because I'm like, I want to say more, but there's just not much more to say. Like, Is this movie going to be part of the DCU? I don't think so. I think this 
version of Jaime Reyes will probably be. I think these characters will cross over. This story will be maybe touched upon, but there's not much here, right? You have Carpax, who's the main villain. He's kind of interesting with the memories at the end that, like, hey, Victoria Carter essentially just manipulated him the entire time, and he, like, kind of learns to turn on her, and Jaime is like, you know, we're not going to kill him, but, like, really, if Jaime would have killed him in the first place, it would most of the, like, his dad wouldn't be dead, and, like, the conflict would be over. So there's... I don't know. It's just, it feels like a superficial, not superficial. It's just, it's a basic story. If Blue Beetle would have came out 20 years ago, this would have been a bigger movie. This could have been a bigger franchise. This is just the first origin film. It's, it's fine. It's okay. It's a movie. And that's really my rating on it. Or I guess that's my review on it. It's a movie. It's okay. It's fine. If I give it a rating, then I'm going to give it a rating. It's a three minus. And part of me really just wants to give it a three because I'm like, it's good. Not, not much more needs to be said. It's a good movie. But really, it's it's borderline kind of meh. Borderline. Right? If you're into Blue Beetle, it's going to be a three. If you just, if you're like me, you just don't, like, you're starting not to care about superheroes as much. Like, you need more than just the content. It's probably going to be just a meh movie for you. So, that's it. Blue Beetle. It's a three minus. What do you guys think about it? Let me know. Yeah, let me know on the social media pages. Same for Marvel's Loki and TMNT next. All right. Sorry, I'm going to do one more time. We're going into low strings. And you'll hear from me soon. Last but not least, at least in terms of ratings, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, this movie. I feel like this movie, even in a nutshell, even if I reviewed it back in August when it came out, after watching it, I feel like this movie, there's a little bit here. There's a little bit to talk about, but not a whole lot. And I don't mean this in a bad way by any means. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is definitely in my childhood. It's definitely in the nerd kingdom. It's things that I want to talk about. But I don't know. It's one of those movies that I just did not watch right away. And when I did put it on, I wasn't paying attention a whole lot. My kids were. My kids enjoyed it. But I finally just took the time to watch it as is. So I can have an opinion on it. So I can talk about it to you guys. With all that being said, it's a good movie. I will say the best thing about this movie is probably the art. It's definitely it's definitely inspired by the Sp- Spider-Verse films. But I wouldn't say it's copying the Spider-Verse films. It's definitely copying the style of art as in like it's making it look like a comic book like the actual comic book. It looks you can see the drawings. And I will say like this new style of animation is gorgeous. I love it. I'm here for it. Comic book movies that are animated. I love the idea of doing this style of art. Because I think it fits from page to screen a lot better. It looks good. It's interesting. And I feel like there's many variations that you can go about it. And this movie, even though it's inspired by the Spider-Verse, is very distinct in its look. It looks like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic. And I enjoy 
that very much. The mutants all look distinct. They look gross, like mutants should. The turtles look a little bit differently. The background is interesting. It's and it's funny because like if you think about Spider-Man and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's the same location. They're both based in New York. I would say like Marvel New York versus and Spider-Man New York versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle New York, even though it's the same city, I feel like they're two different cities. Like I at least when I when I witness the media, when I experience different media, whether it's the comic book or the TV shows, in comparison, they do feel like distinct worlds. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reminds me more of like a Gotham, New York, and maybe it's because they cross over with Batman and Spider-Man. It seems like more of like a Metropolis Superman type of feel to it. Probably because the Ninja Turtles operate at night, where Spider-Man more operates in the daylight. With all that being said, let's let's talk about the movie. So the biggest like change, like, there was a lot of different changes in the characters. Turtles being one of them. They're very Gen Z turtles. They're very like the kids of this generation. I work with kids, and I got a really good sense. Like Donnie, Donnie's like the main one, where like the geeky nerdy kid. Like he, I, I've had a lot of clients who remind me of Donnie, and a lot of kids are like that. And I got that feeling. Same with like Michelangelo. He reminded me of a lot of kids I work with. Leonardo kind of feels more or less the same, and so does Ralph, more or less the same, but more, I don't know, it feels like this movie fits this generation, and I know some people are complaining, like, these aren't my turtles, and these are, like, 30, 40-year-old men who are saying this, and I'm like, guys, this is this is for the kids, it's always been for the kids, the turtles have been changing when we were kids, and they've been ever so changing, and I don't mind this iteration, it fits. I know people complain about April O'Neil's character. I, I think, like, outside of the aesthetic of her being a black woman, like, it's April O'Neil. It's the same character. Just changed slightly a bit to fit the generation. But, like, I'm fine with it. You know, I think she fits more for the city of New York than the previous, like, version of April. This feels like a kid from the city, which April is. I will say the biggest change is Splinter. Because Splinter was always like this karate master zen type figure in the comics, in the older like in the older shows and movies. This Splinter feel he just feels like dad who can fight. And I don't know how I feel about it. I always like the old Zen Master Splinter, but I don't mind this version. I feel like that it's relatable. I think the biggest change for Splinter is the fact that he was not a human turned rat. He was always just a rat. And my biggest question is, why are they so in the, like human culture? Like, I know you can, in your mind, it would make sense. They grow up in the sewers. They grow up watching human culture. But... To me, it makes more sense. It, like when they showed the flashbacks in the movie, it didn't quite click. It was just like, oh, they got bigger. Oh, now they're in the human culture. Like the you know the rats into splinters into the human culture, wearing shirts, wearing afro, listening to music. To me, it didn't quite work. Whereas like the human element with Splinter turning into a rat made more sense. I don't know. I will say that this film is this film is pretty gross. It's uh, 
a lot of puke jokes, a lot of ooze, which makes sense. A lot of gross mutants, which is fine. I think the puke jokes is kind of a little bit much at times. Like April is always puking on camera. And they even like when she finally had her moment to overcome that fear, she still puked. And I was like, ooh, it's just a little too much. Is like is kids in the puke? I don't I don't know. Ooh, is gross mutants? It's fine. That makes sense. Origin story where Baxter Stockman is the dad and Superfly is his like child of sorts. I, I, I'm okay. I think I'm okay with that change. I was kind of confused at first. I'm like, oh, this is not Baxter Stockman? No, it's a different character. But I do feel like it fits for these turtles, right? It feels like they're peers among peers. And I really like that when they went to address the mutants, it wasn't like we're fighting. It's we're hanging out. You know, like we can get along. It's just we have one big philosophical difference. Philosophical differences. Yes, that word. You know, Superfly wants to kill all humans. They want to turn all animals into mutants. And the turtles want the humans to get gracious. You know, and it's kind of a classic back and forth. And it's a kind of a classic turn, like, hey, we're hanging out. Like, oh, you're doing that extreme thing? No, we're going to stop that. But I also just like how the, all the mutants are, like, they were just able to convince them to all kind of turn on Superfly. I really like that change. I like the fact that Rocksteady, and I'm blanking on the pig. War- God, I'm blanking. Warthog? I don't know. Like, I like how they all just changed. And at the end of the day... When Superfly turned into a giant kaiju Godzilla-like monster, that they all worked together. And it wasn't just the turtles doing teamwork. It was the turtles and mutants. It was the mutants, turtles, and Splinter and the humans all working together. And I do really like that moment where they're like, you know what? F it. We're going to work together to beat this monster. And I enjoy that. I will say some of the jokes don't really land in this movie. They have a lot of um, meta references to our world, as in like they'll they'll make jokes about what's happening. There's a lot of Attack on Titan jokes. They'll reference different things, and I I just I feel like that type of writing really dates the movie, and I feel like this movie is going to be forgotten about, and this is going to be one of the reasons, not the reason, but one of the reasons why. With all that being said, because I don't want to take too much time on TMNT, I want to be able to talk about other things too on this episode, and I believe this is going to be the last one we do before the episode ends. So rating this movie after watching it, I think it's just a solid three. It's a good movie. It's solid. Um, It's a movie, and I say that in like the nicest terms possible. It's a movie. It's good. You'll be entertained. Kids will like it, but it's not a movie to like write much home about. It's not groundbreaking, and it's not much different than the animated movie that came out in early, like mid two thousands. It's a solid movie, and in fact, actually, I think that movie is slightly better it's just for the fact that like they do something different with the canon. Whereas this is kind of just a soft reboot. We'll see where it goes. Maybe they can make a great sequel, but I don't know. It's it's just another reboot, another classic story. Not much more to say. <laughs> 